1: absolutely phenomenal. Uh, So, I mean, this is the kind of thing that you want to turn
0: to Get Your Guide for. Whatever you're into, you'll find an experience you love. Discover and book your next unforgettable travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy
2: last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, And starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music and lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear.
0: Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go.
2: AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. Welcome to Stuff
2: to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
3: And I'm Julie Eudaimonia Douglas.
1: Oh yeah? What does Eudaimonia mean?
3: It's a contented state of being happy and healthy and prosperous.
1: Yeah? Yeah. And and that sums you up.
3: Except for prosperous, but prosperous in, in, in my relationships and other non-monetary
1: ways. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, that's a, it's a big question, right? Happiness.
3: At this very moment, I feel eudaimonia.
1: You, so you feel happy right now? Right now. Okay. Well, that's good. That's, 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 that's a good sign for the podcast episode. <laughs> we, that we should, we should both be happy while we're doing it. I mean, you don't have to be, but it helps, I guess. But that's pretty much life in general, right? I mean, from moment to moment, it's a question. Uh, am I happy? Is this making me happy? And should I be asking that question to begin with? To what extent is it a false construct? To what extent can we actually plan and manipulate uh, our environment and our life in such a way that the end result is happiness?
3: Right, which is why this is such a sticky topic and why we haven't really, like, put our arms around it and really giving it a big old squeeze because, I mean, this is kind of a territory that gets into all sorts of variables. And as you had mentioned, happiness is from moment to moment. So to say, are you happy? Do you want to be happy? It's sort of like, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. In five minutes, <laughs> in, in a day, in a year, I want all of that for me. And then to even try to figure out what happiness is, 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 is a whole sort of Pandora's box of Philosophies and pitfalls.
1: Yeah, like when anyone asks you, "Does X make you happy?" Um, and unless, unless a- X is something that's tied to a very in-the-moment experience, such as, say, does the sugar make you happy? You know, you can say, "Well, yes, sugar makes me happy" in a very short-term sense. But otherwise, it, you know, does does uh, does any kind of artistic, artistic endeavor that you, uh, you that you Busy yourself with does does that make you happy? Well, yes. There are moments that it probably makes you really happy. There are moments where it will frustrate you. There are moments where uh, where it will uh, it will bleed into other areas of happiness or frustration in your life. It's just it's it's such it's so dependent on so many different things and it's such a subjective experience.
3: Right, subjective and ephemeral. Right, mm-hmm. it's a fleeting feeling most times. And it's and you had mentioned this whole thing of like even asking the the question about happiness. What is it? Am I happy? Mm-hmm. Kind of takes you outside of the experience of being happy. Yeah. And it's sort of one of those things that you start to take it apart. Can you put it back together again? You know, does, that, does it make us unhappy to even try to figure out what this eudaimonia is?
1: Well, you end up having to step outside of the human experience itself because then you start realizing that, that as, as humans we are ephemeral. As humans, we're not one thing from one second to the next. Mm-hmm. We're this weird kind of odd shaped snake that's uh, draped across the timeline.
3: With all these weird, unconscious things going on that we can't always pin down. And, right, there's just so many different states affecting this. So one of the things you mentioned, you said, if X makes me happy, Mm -hmm. that made me think about this equation that we're going to talk about, this happiness equation, which might sound a little reductive, and maybe it is, and we'll get to it. But we really wanted to use this as our sort of entree into the topic, yeah. Because we could go on, and we may, into this topic for episodes and episodes and episodes. But this at least gives us a, a place to start at to yeah. figure out, you know, happiness in this transient state and what it means to us.
1: Because indeed, there constantly are studies coming out dealing with happiness and the human reach for happiness, and uh, it's. And and we've been trying to figure out what happiness is for a very long time, uh, so yeah, it's a deep topic. And today we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about how our thinking about happiness has changed, and then we're going to talk about this supposed happiness equation, which is wh- when we get to it, you'll see it's a little more complicated than 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 it sounds.
3: Yeah, there's no x plus y equals z. Yeah, there are many more variables, but let's start with Aristotle because he described happiness as an experience of the good life through virtuous action.
1: Okay, so this is the idea you spend your time doing things that are good, that are virtuous, that benefit humanity in some way, you're going to you're going to feel good about that. You're going to feel uh this uh this positive feeling in your life.
3: Yes, by being disciplined, by being virtuous.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yes, the byproduct is a sort of glow of happiness that okay. that you're, you know, a good person out there doing good things.
1: Okay. And I can see where as, certainly later you can end up interpreting this uh by by really drawing in uh more religious ideas of virtue as well. But but you know, on the surface that uh, that's this is a definition that seems to ring true. When you're doing, when you're helping others, when you're doing good things, uh, of, of that nature, it, you do feel a certain, uh, a bit of happiness. this kind of, uh, you know, contentment. You, you know, you're not, you're not, you don't feel like you're wasting your time.
3: Yeah. There's a sort of purpose in life, right? Yeah. And now you can sort of turn the dial a couple of degrees and you can see that you can go from being happy mm-hmm. to feeling happy which then kind of makes you change this perception of happiness as this pursuit, this thing that you have to have and a kind of pleasure that you want over and over again. In fact, we know that dopamine is released when we're feeling really happy. So you can kind of even tie that to, to a sort of addiction to happiness. And I'm talking about hedonism.
1: Yes, we're talking about, of course, uh, the hedonistic view of life, the idea that life is all about seeking pleasure, and you're just jumping from one pleasure to the next, and that that is part and partial to the human experience itself, and anything else you're telling yourself is just uh, a lie.
3: So that's one way to look at it. Yeah, that's
1: one way to look at it. Yeah.
3: Um Another, and you kind of already touched on this, is happiness can be associated with a state of flow. And we've talked about this before, that when you're really engaged in an activity or just even thinking about something, it's pleasurable because you lose yourself inside of it. And time sort of suspends itself.
1: Yeah, we've talked about the uh, the default mode network before. You know that the voice in your head that's constantly tied into uh, uh, anxieties about past and and, and future, uh, and then when you can shut that down, uh, you know by meditation by. Who knows medication, but also by just simply becoming the act that you're involved in, mm-hmm. be that act hoeing the yard or writing a poem or doing your job at work
3: or origami. And we're or, going to talk yeah, about or that origami. Actually, yeah. in our next episode. Uh, but according to Megan Keener, writing for the Huffington Post, neuroscientist and Buddhist monk Matthieu Rickard teaches that durable happiness as a way of life requires training the mind and developing qualities like inner peace, mindfulness and altruistic love and, uh, she goes on to say the Dalai Lama agrees describing happiness as a skill requiring effort and time to develop an understanding of the true nature of reality. Yeah. And in a way you kind of get back to Aristotle here, this byproduct of doing right by yourself, of doing good in the world, of, of trying to come to the act in a very mindful way.
1: Yeah, and the, the little bit there from the Dalai Lama about understanding the true nature of reality, um, it, it, I, I kind of enjoy taking that notion to a certain degree outside of uh, of the, the Buddhist uh, uh, construct there, and think about you know just sort of having a, a a good understanding, a good base understanding of of how the brain is working, how. The mind is working, and 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 knowing, uh, you know how we're going to inevitably go from this happy moment to a next with dips in between, and that there's a, a, a topography to uh, to our emotional state in life. Like just knowing that there is a topography and realizing that there are going to be ups and downs, uh, I feel like that is is uh, is an important part of of at least trying to maintain some sort of happiness in your life.
3: Yeah, I kind of equate it with the ferret of the mind looking for everything that's shiny. Yeah. You know, and just bouncing from one thing to another.
1: Yeah, and just knowing that there's a ferret is, is yes. kind of half the battle. I right. mean, if you can become aware of this, uh, this state of mind, then you can, you can actually take some steps to deal with it.
3: Yeah, and if you can say, stop, that's fool schooled. Yes. That's not the real thing, then maybe you can back up for a second and kind of get back into yourself and, and back into that present moment. Now, when did we humans really think that happiness was worth pursuing in earnest because this hasn't always been the aim of humanity.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you just, just in the Western tradition, you look back at, uh, at, at certainly like Protestant thinking and and, uh, and and to a certain degree Catholic views of, of life, where you, you really get into this idea of this physical world as being a world of suffering and just, you, it's all about just enduring what the world is throwing at you and you've got to keep your eyes on the prize uh, and that being some form of happiness in the afterlife. If You can even call it happiness. You could even, I guess at base, call it liberation, uh, to, you know, to, to get a little Buddhisty on it. But life sucks, and your only possibility out of the suck is to, is to follow the rules and make it out in the next life.
3: Right. There's the original sin, the idea of that, and everybody's going to suffer for that in this lifetime. Right. But when you get out, maybe not so much. So according to Peter Stearns' writing for the Harvard Business Review, this idea changed in the 18th century. And he said the fact is that the commitment to happiness in Western culture is relatively modern. Until the 18th century, uh, if anything, you had that saddened approach to life. And so he says what changed is you had the, um, the Enlightenment and we've talked about this before the enlightenment not only just brought in this new circulation of um, ideas but coffee houses which helped to circulate and really pump up everybody's energy ah. to communicate those ideas like little viruses these little memes that, that began to distribute among everybody. And so then you had these ideas of well hey maybe you know the original sin and suffering maybe it's a little bit different maybe god wants us to be happy. He and gave his coffee her.
1: right so give us
3: coffee and all this energy and I have all these thoughts and ideas and I want to <laughs> okay. talk about them um, maybe God really wants us to be you know cheerful that's that's the idea there and in addition to that, Stern says that there were advances in human comfort for the middle classes this is really key he's saying that there was better home heating I mean imagine being chilled throughout the night and how angry and depressed, you might be the next day. <laughs> um, it's these little things that he says sort of move the needle for people to get into a position where they can begin to consider happiness. In other words, they were in this really nice, comfortable position. Um, and he even says that improved dentistry might have encouraged people to smile more. Ah. And you know, we've talked about this before, just smiling, mm-hmm. the act of it, will communicate to your brain that you're happy. Yeah. So even if that state, you know, right before that, you were kind of feeling funky or in a funk, I should say. And then the just the act of your lips curling up can tell your brain, hey, you're smiling.
1: Huh. You know, the, and this, of course, flows into the um, the theory that the Mona Lisa, for instance, might have uh, had that unique smile because yeah. she doesn't want to show her teeth. Um, that it's, it's an interesting theory but the thing is
3: it's kind of disappointing though yeah you know like oh she's that she's neither smiling or grimacing she's just doesn't want to show her teeth
1: yeah but you know what i i think we've all seen very genuine smiles on the part of people with uh imperfect to to bad teeth you know mm-hmm. and in a way like there's nothing better because you know that's a genuine smile like it's a smile where the 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 happiness of the moment uh supersedes any concerns about physical health or or uh, or just uh, you know basic appearance.
3: Yeah, and it's it, you know we kind of take dentistry for granted now, but think back to the 18th century and this would be a clear marker of those who maybe had access to money and mm-hmm. dentistry and those who did not. So all of a sudden to be able to have things in your mouth fixed, you know, maybe yeah. not have that roan tooth or whatever it is, um, that might say, ah, oh, look at me, I've got access to wealth and I'm going to smile about it all day.
1: Alright, so we init- we eventually get into this idea, uh, in, in large part, especially in the United States, though so due to the Declaration of Independence, uh, and Thomas Jefferson's pen, that everyone has the right to life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, the Declaration of Independence does not provide additional details on exactly <laughs> yeah. what happiness means yeah. and or how to obtain it, but we're told, oh, well, you have a right to uh, to pursue it. So so what are we to make of that? Like, wh- where does that even come from? That's, uh, that's a question that, uh, that scholars have actually uh, looked at uh, uh, quite a bit.
2: Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval.
5: Terms apply. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.
3: Well, Thomas Jefferson, as we know, was really very well read and in many different areas. And as Josh Clark points out in his article about this, um, Jefferson was very interested in philosopher John Locke's ideas. Mm -hmm. And Locke had originally posited the idea that a person's right to live a healthy life, free to amass and maintain property, or life, health, liberty, and property, was sort of the bedrock on which Jefferson began to build his own philosophy for what the United States might want to pursue for itself. So we're not quite sure how happiness came to be in, in his um, final wording in, in uh, the Declaration of Independence, but we do know that this idea of health and wellness, well-being might have informed this idea of happiness.
1: Yeah, again, it's such a subjective thing that really if you try and, uh, and really dissect it too much, you just start running into dead ends. I mean, especially when you think about the, the fact that, that uh, the American uh, dream, uh, as, as it was back then, also entails being able to come to a new place and practice uh, some sort of uh, dreary take on Protestant uh, theology. Again, where life is not about happiness, Mm -hmm. and maybe that that uh, that belief is in in a sense your own sort of happiness. Uh, It gets complicated.
3: It does, and then it's and again, it's interesting to see Thomas Thomas Jefferson and others during this period really bringing in these other ideas of what life is. So, obviously, in the United States, there's a comfort level that has been reached in which Jefferson and others can begin to ponder what it means, um, to, to be this human in this society and what to expect. And I think that's the fascinating thing is that that turn from health and well-being eking into this idea of happiness and that that should be accessible for people. Some people. You know, technology makes a lot of things easier, like using the post office with stamps.com. You can do everything that you do at the post office right from your computer, Best of all, it's super easy. You don't need to be a tech expert. With Stamps.com, all you need is your computer and printer to buy official U.S. postage for any letter, any package. And Stamps.com provides all of the expertise. They'll send a digital scale automatically calculating exact postage. And Stamps.com will even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. Then all you have to do is print the postage Hand it to your mail carrier and poof, you're done. Plus, Stamps.com makes it easy to print postage from popular business software like QuickBooks, Outlook, and more. We use Stamps.com, so you can too. Nope. We use Stamps.com, and so can you. Right now, you can use our promo code STUFF, S-T-U-F-F, for this special offer. We're talking about a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and up to $55 in free postage. So do not wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in STUFF. That's Stamps.com. Enter STUFF.
1: All right, we're back, and we're talking about happiness, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about something called the Happiness Industrial Complex, or something dubbed the Happiness Industrial Complex. And for an example of this, you just need to look at pretty much anything in your surrounding world. Uh, turn on the television, turn on the radio, <laughs> listen to a podcast, uh, drive down the street. Yeah. It's everywhere.
3: Yeah, and uh, according to Carolyn Gregor, a features editor at Huff- Huffington Post, A Google search for happiness yields 75 million results and nearly 40,000 books on the topic. Now, sitting atop this heap of books Mm -hmm. is Gretchen Rubin's happiness book or the happiness project. I'm sure um, a lot of listeners have probably seen this around. And Gretchen Rubin, she was very interested in trying to figure out what made her happy. And she began to sort of live this life of how she could achieve um, it's sort of like the Six Sigma Jack Donaghy, like, I'm going to attack <laughs> happiness and it's going to be in, you know, all these different areas of my life. And she lived it for like a year and then, and wrote about the successes and the failures of that as well mm. as some of the studies and the science behind it. Um, but she says that she thinks that the reason why there is this happiness industrial complex is because we live in a time of incredible prosperity. Not, of course, globally, mm-hmm. but in the West. This is probably the, one of the most prosperous times in history, and so hearkening back to that idea that when you reach a certain comfort level, you begin to really become more introspective and figure out how to move that needle on your own happiness.
1: Yeah, and then the the media that you consume, the examples of life that you see around you, those kind of become the the sort of baseline happiness that you feel on some level you should be able to achieve. Yeah. So you have this uh, you have this example of what. Your home should be what your family should be, what your clothing should be, what your your nose should be. I don't know, and 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 that that becomes the model. That becomes something that you you strive for. Um, and there's and there's no end of people that want to sell you something that will help you reach that point where you have that house, where you have that nose, where you have that outfit, where you have whatever version of of, of happiness you're having to pull out of the uh, the media ether all around you.
3: Which kind of gets you into this terrible place where you think that there's a standard of happiness that you must fulfill for yourself, even though no one can really define that for Mm -hmm. the community at large. It has to be defined individually. And so... I think that's what's fueling this industry. People are just saying, well, "How if I just buy this book, if I just do this one thing, then I'll be happy, which, it, again, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Um, and it's taken hold, I think, of people's imagination so much so that uh, there is a $145 million Pentagon sort of happiness program that was put into place uh, in his PBS opinion piece, the tyranny of happiness Joshua Faust writes that Martin Silikman helped to create this program to teach optimistic thinking to veterans returning from wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and it's a kind of resilience training that was also put into place for for other soldiers not just veterans and so on the one hand you have detractors who say it's super reductive um it's almost like mind control, and it's also possibly not dealing with the concerns of veterans who have really had some very traumatic experiences returning from war,
1: but on the other hand, i mean as as again as reductionist as it may seem to just sort of have this uh, hey fight the horror with happiness. Kind of vibe. I mm-hmm. mean, at least they're giving them some tools to work with, some something yeah. to cling on to uh, if you feel yourself drifting off into the deep end of. Uh uh, of, of trauma and and, po- and post-traumatic uh, stress
3: right it's it's a step in the right direction for mental health right mm-hmm. and to even addressing the fact that there are issues that um, a lot of people are dealing with when when they're at war um, but the other sort of murky thing about this is that Seligman is very much associated with torture tactics and techniques and he's he's kind of actually got the corner on that. Mm. So here you have this guy who has, has worked with the government um, in torture techniques, but is also, on the flip side, trying to help soldiers with positive thinking. And um, it's it's very interesting, I should say, just hmm. if not um, controversial.
1: I mean, you could argue that he's very qualified for this since he is familiar with the the, the opposite end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's still maybe it's just just a, a simple matter of anytime you have something that's referred to as the Pentagon Happiness Program, uh, it, it's going to ring a little hollow. <laughs>
3: I think that's an informal take on yeah. it. I'm not sure if that's what they actually. I think I know they refer to it as positive psychology. But you're right. It is interesting. Like this is the guy who knows how to break an individual. So maybe mm-hmm. this is the guy who knows how to fix an, inid- an individual. Uh so yeah, there's the interesting duality Yeah. Too.
1: Of course you can make the you know, there's the whole the whole argument that those are the two movements you can take in life, either destroying and creating. And uh just because you can tear a car apart doesn't mean you can rebuild it. So I don't know.
3: Indeed. I feel like this is fertile ground for another episode yeah. to even talk about this. Um so we should talk about the mathematical happiness that we referred to in the introduction, this idea that those moment to moment um states of our mind might be able to be tracked and even predicted in terms of how content we feel.
1: Yeah, and of course, this uh, this falls logically based on any number of studies we've discussed on this podcast, right? We can always use an fMRI. We can look and see how blood is flowing through the brain. And based on what associations are made with different parts of the brain and different parts of the brain mm-hmm. in connection with each other then we can and then we can compare the brain uh, scans the fmr results to uh, what kind of stimuli is involved what you're asking the test subject to think about and you can start forming theories about Um, You know how to fill in that X and that Y in various equations regarding human behavior.
3: Yeah, and I was thinking about this in terms of how we always say that the brain is this pattern-seeking machine. Mm -hmm. And um, Dr. Rob Rutledge from the University of College London, who conducted the study, said the brain is trying to figure out what you should be doing in the world to get rewards. So all the decisions, expectations, and outcomes are information it's using to make sure you make good decisions in the future. All of the recent expectations and rewards combine to determine your current state of happiness. And what's interesting about that is I don't think that people have really thought about happiness in that context before of like oh that's just my brain trying to predict what's going on and what it should expect. You know, we tend to think of happiness coming more from the inside as opposed to external conditions.
2: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like updating turbines at one of our indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the gulf of mexico it's and not or see what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com investing in america
3: hey sarah i love that spring break vlog you posted on zigazoo omg you watched it yeah it was edited so well
4: Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O.
5: Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms.
0: During Dell TechFest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential
1: So this brings us to the, the, uh, the so-called happiness equation, which, uh, if you look at it, and we'll, uh, I'll try to include a a link to it or an image of it on the uh, podcast page associated with this episode, you'll see that it, it again is not an X plus Y equals whatever. It is, uh, it is a long equation with several different variables, uh, different levels. Like if it were, if this equation were physically a house, it would have several floors. There would be different places you could hide. It's uh, it's an elaborate equation. It is. Yeah. But it is an equation nonetheless, so it's an attempt to mathematically understand this thing. And uh, in this case, uh, the individuals trying to mathematically understand the quest for happiness were researchers at University College London. So what they did is they analyzed the results of 26 people doing a task in which uh, over repeated trials they were asked to choose between definite and risky monetary rewards. So we're ta- you know we're talking basically the idea of do you stand to 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 gain any kind of small monetary reward mm-hmm. on this particular risk, uh, is it? Are there zero dollars involved? Is there one dollar, two dollars involved? That sort of thing.
3: And what's your expectation? Yes, as opposed to what really happened when you were playing the game.
1: Yeah, and so through these trials, they're asked to report their level of happiness uh, following the result, and of course, uh, the participants' brains were also scanned using an fMRI. So. Looking at the brain scans, looking again at how blood is flowing through uh, through the noggin mm-hmm. uh, during all of this, they saw they noticed activity in two areas of the brain correlated positively with happiness scores. Uh, these were the uh, ventral striatum, uh, this is the main source of dopamine neurons, and the insula, an area of the brain uh, that is associated with uh, several emotions, uh, but especially happiness.
3: So, yeah, let's say that a player made a decision. And she thought, okay, there's, you know, she wasn't sure what her reward w- would be monetarily, but she expected maybe zero dollars or one dollar. Mm-hmm. But let's say her reward was not the full six dollars, but four dollars. Hey, that was better than what she expected cause she thought that on the lower end of the spectrum, she'd get zero or one dollar. So you see that activity in the brain spiking. So what they did is they, they took all of that information. And then they had a second part of the study in which they developed that equation based on all of those reactions and and the way the the brain was behaving. And they applied it to 18,000 people playing a game that was very similar to what the volunteers were doing. So we're talking about a decision-making task game. It's a smartphone game. And the results were, as the model had predicted, when players expected a reward, they were less happy to receive it than if they hadn't expected anything at all.
1: Okay. So it all comes down to expectations and how appropriately low or high those expectations might be.
3: Yeah, which is kind of, uh, it's a little bit of a dumb moment, but at the same time it challenges our perception of how happiness sort of, happens inside of us. Uh, so it doesn't depend on really how things are going, but on our perception of how they will go or how they should go.
1: Yeah, I feel like an area of my life where I see this in play the most is when I see a movie, when I go to check out a film, right? Because you're coming into any given film with varying levels of uh, of of information regarding It's quality and how much you are supposedly going to like it. So Uh you have these, you have a certain expectation set for it. Maybe so everyone's saying this is the big summer thrill ride. This is the best movie of the year. This won an Oscar. This one, this, uh, this is the, the film that all your friends are talking about. So you go into it perhaps thinking, well, I will certainly love it. It will be the greatest thing ever. Or you go into a film that everyone has dumped on and then it's better than you expected. So based on your expectations, you know, I, I find myself thinking at times, well, was this film really that bad or was I just or my expectations were just way too high for it? And then likewise I'll see something and I'll really enjoy it and then I'll think, well maybe that's just because I was really expecting nothing out of it and it did have some some nuggets of gold uh uh hidden in there with the poop.
3: <laughs> that's a nice way to say it. Yeah. Um, and Rutledge says, he even says, like, this isn't the way to pursue happiness, by the way, because we're talking about moment to moment. Mm-hmm. And he said, in in contrast to this, you could actually even be thinking about, uh, say, an upcoming vacation. Mm-hmm. And imagine yourself learning to surf, or if that's something you really think you're going to do. Okay. And you're committed to that. And have pleasure from that just from imagining yourself being on vacation and doing things so you can have expectations he says um but the trick moment to moment in your life is is to try to um i guess you could say lower your expectations to the reality of the situation okay in order to not be disappointed right
1: okay yeah i mean that makes sense you- you can set out. You can fantasize essentially about learning to surf on that vacation. Yeah. But don't be upset when it rains every day and you just end up playing uh, Scrabble in the beach house.
3: Yeah. Just just the thought of being on vacation, having those thoughts, and yeah, maybe even being like, I've, I've maybe this is the key, fantasizing about surfing, but also saying, Ah, oh, but won't it be beautiful if it rains and I'll be playing Scrabble? So fantasize it all about in.
1: surfing. Settle for Scrabble. That can be our new our bumper sticker happiness equation that everybody can can use.
3: We can put that in our Stuff to Blow Your Mind store Yeah, right, Yes, Travel so,
1: Scrabble can license it and use it on all their products.
3: There you go. Uh, Rutledge also says that this is only a measurement for immediate reward. He says that it doesn't deal with long-term satisfaction, and in fact, um, when you look at all these short-term spikes and dips and you account for them, people still have a baseline happiness point. And they tend to follow that over the course of a lifetime. And perhaps that's more dominated by your philosophy of life.
1: Yeah. And also by the, I mean, sort of the the icons and the, the role models you look up for, too. I mean, those become the models of what you want to achieve, be that, you know, you're one of your own parental units, or some celebrity, or whatever. Yeah, you, know, you're, you end up you end up kind of shackled to that model to some degree,
3: and you are shackled to um, whatever your circumstances are at that very moment. Mm-hmm. The circumstances that you can't maybe change. So I'm thinking health is one of them, um, and this certainly doesn't even begin to touch on depression. So yeah, again, not to be reductionist yeah. at all, but these are just you know this happiness equation is interesting to look. Uh, it's the happiness paradigm and try to figure out what's going on there in the femoral states.
1: So if we're to take something away from this, and again, you can't really take away a quick, easy, uh, uh, you know, rocket ride to happiness. But essentially, um, aim for the stars, but settle for the moon kind of a situation. Yeah. But even that is, is more complicated than, than it sounds. Like if you start dissecting the the bumper sticker uh, um uh, simplicity of it. Mm-hmm. It, it is a lot. Of, like, how do you set, how do you aim big and, and still find yourself satisfied with, uh, with, with less impressive results? Uh, like even in my own life, when I think about, about my writing, uh, it's, it, I feel like I've, I've gotten to the point where I have a, a like a healthy level of expectation, but I still am also at the same time, uh, staying ambitious with what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I can really break apart how I'm, maintaining that you know like because they seem like two contradictory uh feelings
3: well i think it's kind of one of those things especially with fiction as you do have that expectation i'm Mm -hmm. going to write the great american novel and i'm doing it now and that never happens right because that novel turns out into something entirely different than what you expected so i think when you come to the experience of flow in this case happiness that you have to be willing to fail a lot or a little, yeah. in order to reach some sort of stasis of happiness, right? Because it's just in the effort of trying to do that and then square your expectations with whatever comes out on the other side. Yeah. Again, writing requires that sort of like Zen, <laughs> monk-like mind, which makes it, I think, very difficult, although not for Joyce Carol Oates.
1: Oh, yeah? She... Uh- she finds it easy. She's
3: prolific. And I think it's because it's like a muscle for her. Yeah. She has written so much and she does it almost automatically when she comes to the table because that is what she does. Hmm. You know, at every single day that, you know, I think that you sort of maybe when you're doing it that much, you put away those fears or those thoughts that allow you to get to that page.
1: Bottom line, though, expectations seem to play a major role in the pursuit of immediate happiness.
3: So shoot for the moon. Yes.
1: Well now, shoot for the stars. I know. Or if you shoot for the moon, the shoot for the moon and shoot for the moon is fine, but settle for low earth orbit.
3: There you go. Yeah. That's our bumper sticker. Yes. All right, guys. Um you know you can find us in other places, right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. We're available uh, all over, but especially at com. That's The Mothership. That is where you will find all of our podcast episodes streaming for your pleasure. You will find all of our videos. You'll find our blogs, uh, as well as links out to various social media accounts that we frequent.
3: And if you have any thoughts on happiness, any sad thoughts on happiness, differently. Um please do share them with us. We would love to hear from you guys and you can do that by emailing us at blowthemind at For
2: more on this and thousands of other topics, visit housestuffworks.com.
3: Hey Sarah.
5: And find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.
4: From football playoffs to basketball madness.